the word of God. We ask that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to see you. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 35. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Now, we've been looking at the life of Jacob, and as we saw last week, last week was a pretty, uh, pretty gnarly chapter. Amen? And we titled the message, When Dads Don't Step Up. What happens to a family when those who are called by God to lead don't do it? And we saw how Jacob, though he had just been delivered from Laban, he had been delivered from his own brother Esau, he instead of going where God had called him to go, which was to Bethel, to Padan Aram, the place of promise, he settled in Shechem. Shechem was a very green and lush place, but it was outside of God's perfect will. It was a very worldly and wicked and idolatrous land. So instead of going to where God had told them to go, they stopped short of it. And boy, what a picture for us as Christians, that God has a perfect will and a permissive will. God will never force us to walk in the center of his will. But know this, that if you settle for less than God's highest, you're going to deal with the consequences of it. You hear me say it all the time, but it bears repeating. He is not a no-fun-bummer God trying to keep you from having a good time. Amen? He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. And so often we look at the Word as a... Instead of the Ten Commandments, it's the Ten Suggestions. You know, instead of the Word of God, it's the opinion of God. And we try to pick and choose, and we just try to determine what we think is right. And here we see Jacob settling in a land of wickedness. And guess what? Because he disobeys God, his whole family ends up paying for it. Remember that his daughter was left without covering. Dinah, his only daughter, his baby girl, 14, 15 years old, you know, as teenage girls can be, decides, hey, I wonder what the rest of the world is like. Let me go out and check it out for myself. And because dad's not watching over her the way that he should, she goes out unchaperoned, and as we know, she ends up getting raped. The word of the rape comes back. Jacob doesn't do anything. Kind of holds his peace. The second point we saw last week is that when dads don't step up, sinful behavior isn't properly addressed. Can I say this as parents? The easiest thing to do about sinful behavior in your kids is to say nothing. And it's the worst thing you can do. Amen? The easiest thing to do is to go, oh, I don't want to deal with this. I've had a long day at work. And oh man, you know what? Ah, let's let it go. And you know what? We need to love our kids and our God enough when we see sinful behavior in our house that we go and lovingly and graciously but very directly deal with it. Amen? But Jacob sat back and said nothing. He didn't do anything. So guess what happens? His sons were left without godly direction, so they took things into their own hands. Simeon and Levi, hearing about this, seeing dad do nothing, say, well, if dad's not going to do something, no one's going to treat our baby sister that way. Simeon and Levi were both born of Leah, as was Dinah. So these are her full brothers. So Simeon and Levi come up with a plan. And when Shechem's dad comes and tries to bargain for their daughter, for their sister, you know, what kind of dowry can I give? Yeah, we just raped her, but what do we got to give you so we can keep her? Because she's still back with them. And Simeon and Levi say, hey, you know what? You can't come to us because you haven't been circumcised. 
And so an outward ritual instead of an inward relationship. If you will keep our religious ritual when, you know, there's no commitment to God, it's nothing more than that, then you can be part of us. But this was a covenant between God and Israel. They were blaspheming the covenant of God. And they were doing it with a very bad motive. And so what happened is they agreed to be circumcised. As we saw last week, all the men were circumcised on the third day when they were laying around hurting. Simeon and Levi went up and slaughtered every man in the land. All the Shechemite men were killed. They took their wives and children and their possessions as spoils. The nine other brothers come. And they weren't murderers, they were just thieves. Because they came in and looted the land. And all of this is happening in, the book, in the chapter 34. We don't see God mentioned one time. God is never mentioned in the entire chapter. Jacob says absolutely nothing to his boys when they're doing this. He sits back. He's a dad who won't step up, who won't be the spiritual leader, who isn't taking his God created divine position within his family and the reason we have some of the many of the problems we have today in the world is we got dads doing the same thing well those around us are given a false impression of our faith because again they said hey just take the circumcision you'll be fine and now we see at the end at the as we get to the end of the chapter that all control of his family is lost that his dad when jacob finally speaks up what does he say you brought me harm you brought me heartache He's not worried about their behavior or how God's name is harmed. All he's worried about is you're causing me static. That is not a good dad. That's a horrible dad. A dad who thinks only of himself, not of the things of God or how to best minister to his kids. And then finally, he loses the respect of his kids. And what do they say to him? You know what, dad, you didn't do anything, so we had to. So this is where we are. Jacob has lost control of his family, his And mind you, the most important family on the face of the earth, by the way, because through this family, the Messiah is going to come, right? And so from this family that God has his hand on, the the family of promise, he has lost total control. Why? Because he's been hanging out in the world for eight years. He's no longer worshiping God. He has not, not been seeking after God. He's not being a godly dad. He's not taking his kids to worship the Lord. They've forgotten completely about God. They're living according to their flesh. And here comes the disaster. Boy, what a lesson for all of us. This is the line through whom the Messiah would come But as we come to tonight's chapter, we've got a daughter who's been raped and defiled. We have Simeon and Levi who are murderers. The other nine are common thieves. As we're going to see, there are idols throughout their house. They're drifting from God's purposes, becoming more and more like the world around them. God's name is being harmed. Jacob is not leading his family. His children are in open rebellion. What in the world is a father to do? Maybe you sit here and you find yourself tonight thinking, you know what? I hate to admit it, but that describes my life a little bit. You know what? I have been kind of exhausted and I haven't fulfilled my role in the home. I haven't been the spiritual leader God's called me to be. Well, you know what's so great about the word of God? He doesn't leave us hanging because the very next chapter he's going to give us the answer. As we continue to read, he doesn't just leave us with this family devastated and with a father who's totally blown it. We're going to see the grace of God in action. And that same grace that was available to Jacob is available to you and I. I want to say one last thing, a verse that I had written out that I forgot to mention last week that I think is so key. With Simeon and Levi going and murdering all the the men of the land, we all would admit, at least partially, that we understand it. Why? 
because we have daughters and you know, sisters and moms, and we know how we feel about the precious women in our family, and to think of one of them being raped like that, we certainly understand the response from a fleshly perspective. And we all, many of us would even say, you know, I would probably respond the same way unless Almighty God help me big time. But you know, the Word of God says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let me say that again. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In our anger and fleshly wrath, we never produce the righteousness of God. Next time you're about to fly off a handle and you think you've got reason to be righteously angered, remember that verse, amen? So we come to this evening's chapter. We've just left behind this mayhem in chapter 34. And we're going to see a total change in direction. If you're a note taker, I titled the message, A Return to Holy Living. So last time, it's what happens when dad doesn't step up. This time, a return to holy living. When dad steps up and brings his family with him. What does it look like? Well, here's the point. So we're going to look at the, just the first 15 verses tonight. Number one, when we return to holy living, the first thing that must happen, you must return to your first love. You must come back to a place of surrender and brokenness before God. Number two, a return to holy living in the case of a dad here. Take spiritual headship in your home. How do you do that? Here's the four points. Cleanse your homes of false gods. Cleanse yourselves inside and out. Bring your family with you to worship the Lord. And then finally, obey God and trust him to protect you. Return to holy living. Know God's comfort in times of grieving And then the last two points, trust that God is still faithful to his promises. And then finally, pour yourself out before him. So return to holy living. When dad steps up and brings his family with him, how in the world are we going to get out of the mess of chapter 34? Look at the devastation. His kids don't respect him. The name of God has been harmed. It's a total disaster. What in the world is going to turn this all around? Look at verse 1. Then God said to Jacob. Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. God sees our messes. Amen? God sees all the disastrous decisions we've made. God sees the the mayhem we've wreaked by walking in our flesh. And here's the good news, guys. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. His eyes are always upon us. He never ceases to love us. And he so desperately wants to minister to us. Amen? And even when we're walking around and we're trying to harden our heart and be separated from him, he wants to reach out. And we see here that he speaks to Jacob. Now, could it be? It doesn't say in the text, and be careful to speak into silence. That's a bad thing to do. But could it be that Jacob was finally brought to a place where he was desperate enough to hear God? You know, guys, God is always speaking. It's just that often we're not listening. Amen? I haven't heard anything from the Lord. Then you need to listen. I need to listen. Amen? Because God is speaking. I believe God's been speaking to Jacob all along for eight years. And for eight years, Jacob's just been, you know, on the flesh patrol. Just living his life, being comfortable. Just, hey. Shechem was a great place to raise cattle, bad place to raise kids. It was lush and it was green, but it was a godless forsaken place. And no doubt God was reminding him of the promises, but again, we can get so caught up in the things of the world that we don't hear God. Well, finally, 
It could be that with his daughter raped and his kids, you know, in a place where they are, have no respect for him anymore. And now he's afraid that when the word gets out about what he did to the Shechemites, that all the people of the land were going to come and kill him. And finally, just maybe, he was ready to hear. And then the Lord spoke to him. Jacob had stopped short of what God had called him to do. He had chose, you know, the fleshly things instead of the godly things. And you know what? The closeness with the godless world had brought all this havoc upon his family, brought leanness to his soul and compromise to his life, and he still wouldn't step up. He's in open rebellion, but in the midst of that, God speaks. I'm so thankful that God is a God of such incredible grace, aren't you? That, it, you know, I've blown it, and he still loves me. I said this on Sunday. Have you ever sinned in such a bad way that you felt like you had to ask him to forgive you like a hundred times? Even though he forgave you the first time? Guys, we need to understand the depths of God's grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And God still loves Jacob. He still has a plan for Jacob. still has a plan for his 12 sons. Even though we know that Simeon and Levi are going to miss out on God's highest because of what they have done. But God sees it all and he tells Jacob, Okay, Jacob, look. Pastor Dave paraphrase. Here's the problem. You're living in a land I never meant for you to live in. You're dwelling in the world that was never my plan. You need to rise up and go back to Bethel. Rise up and go back to the house of God. Back to the place of worship. Back to the place of surrender. Back to the place of sacrifice. Go back. And not only go back there, but dwell there. Go back to Bethel. Now, Bethel means house of God. You're struggling in your walk, go back to the house of God. Amen? You're not, you're really getting caught up in the things of the world, get back into fellowship with God's people. I'm preaching to the choir, you're here on a Wednesday night. But the point is, as we struggle and we strive and we go through difficulties of life, the place that we need to turn back to is intimate fellowship with the Lord. Bethel means house of God, but it was also the place where Jacob first met the Lord. If you remember, he was running for his life from Esau. And as he's running for his life, all he has is a staff in his hand. Maybe a little bit of sustenance, and that's it. He's all by himself. He's so exhausted in this hundreds of miles, about 500 mile trek, that he stops and he's so exhausted he falls asleep using a rock for a pillow. You know you're tired when you're using a rock for a pillow. And in the midst of that, the Lord appears to him in a vision. And the angels are, Jacob's ladder it's referred to, the angels are ascending and descending. And he finds out that, you know what, even though I'm alone out here in the desert, God's got his hand on me, he's watching me, he's ministering to me, he's caring for me, he loves me. It, there's something far beyond what I can see with my physical eyes. That should be a word of encouragement to everybody here. No matter what you're going through, God's eyes are upon you and he is ministering to you if you will but let him, amen? And so, Later, in John, we see that Jesus tells Nathanael that he is the ladder. So whenever you think of Bethel, think of the gap being bridged between sinful man and holy God through Jesus Christ. Because guys, we can't get to heaven through our efforts, so he reached down through his son to bridge that gap between sinful man and holy God. He's saying, go back to the house of God. Go back to Bethel. Back to the place where you saw my mighty hand. Quit trusting in yourself. Quit hanging out with the world. Get back in love with me. Guys, we need to return to that kind of life. Return to holy living. 
In Genesis 28, God had promised to protect, protect and bless Jacob. He had promised him. He needed to remember God's promise. God's word of exhortation to a father whose family is out of control, who's been infected with surrounding wickedness, is leave that wicked place and get back to the house of God. It's been said the only cure for worldliness is to be separated from it. Amen? The only cure for worldliness is to move out away from it. In the world, but not of the world. So in Genesis 34... God not mentioned once. We don't hear God speaking. Why? Because I believe Jacob's ears are hardened. Now he's brought to the end of himself. He finally hears from the Lord. And the first words that he recognizes and hears from God is, go back to the house of God. You've got to get out of the world. You've got to leave this place behind. And you need to get back into fellowship with me. Back to where you made a vow to me. Seven or eight years outside of fellowship with God did major damage to this family. But God is faithful to restore it. Maybe you're here. You've been away from God for years. Maybe your family hasn't been, you haven't been the spiritual leader in your home. You haven't been the man of God for, or, or the, the mom, the woman of God in your home that you were called to be. And it's been years. Guys, it's never too late to get back to the house of God. It's never too late to restore that fellowship with Him. It's never too late to step up Jacob has been blowing it for years, but praise God that he is so faithful. Leave the wickedness behind and get back to the house of God, back to the place where you walked in intimate fellowship. And then he says this, and make an altar there to God. Reestablish your heart of covenant and worship and sacrifice before God. Come back to that simple childlike faith. Remember how you started out. You know, sometimes as Christians, We think that after we mature a little while, sometimes, you know, the glow wears off a little bit. Don't you love people, as my dad would say, who've been saved real good and are just like brand new in their faith and they just can't help but tell everybody they see? And I've heard mature Christians say, oh man, he's a new believer, that'll wear off. Lord, help it not to ever wear off, amen? We ought to be glowing more, not less, over time. He says, make an altar there. Go back to how it was. You had an altar here once before. You made a vow to me here once before. You made sacrifice to here, here to me once before. You've gotten away from that. You need to get back to that place of intimate fellowship with me. And he says to him, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. God reminds Jacob, not just of his appearance to him, but how desperate his circumstances were when he was brought to the house of God in the first place. He was running for his life. May we never forget how desperate we were when we came to know Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to remember, be reminded how desperate we were. That ought to change the way we look at an ungodly world around us. Boy, that was me. You know what? That guy's acting according to his nature. Boy, he's desperate. I was desperate. You know what? Lord, keep us desperate. Because desperate is where we grow spiritually. Over time, Jacob become comfortable and wealthy and self-sufficient. Boy, Lord, help us never to be self-sufficient. You know, as men, that's the thing that men strive to do. You know, I did men's ministry for 15 years. And during that time, I'd have guys say to me, you know, if I could have a certain amount of money in the bank, then I'd feel comfortable. If I can just get these ducks in a row. And now you be a good steward and you be faithful, but boy, you better not put your faith in your bank account. Lord, don't give us 
enough money to make us comfortable. Keep us desperate. Amen? And that is what needed to happen. He became so self-sufficient that he became spiritually dry. And may we never become so comfortable in this life that we lose our desperation for God. So in the house of God, this is the place where it says to dwell with him there. That's what it said earlier in the chapter. Guys, we don't visit God, we dwell with him. Amen? If you're just visiting God for a few moments each day, or in the middle of a real tough time, you may you know, shoot up a prayer to get a little help. I hope that you're not running in and, you know, hey God, you need to help me with this test, and, here, uh, and then you leave for the next week. You know, we need to be walking with him, dwelling with him, hanging out with him. One of my favorite Psalms is one, Psalm 27 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord that I, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. One thing I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Lord, help us to be dwelling in Your house, not just to visit it on Sunday and Wednesday. Amen? Guys, to have intimate fellowship, to walk in intimate fellowship. This is the problem with the church today. There's too many people that have a distant, you know, arm's length relationship with the Lord. They don't walk in intimate fellowship with Him. Again, are you away from the Lord tonight? Have you become comfortable in the world? Come back to a place of worship and brokenness. Return to your first love. Come back to the house of God. So number one, a return to holy living. When dads step up and brings his family with them, first of all, there's a return to your first love. We're going to get to Revelation in a few months on Sunday mornings, and we're going to see the seven letters. And one of the letters is to the church, and he says to the church, you need to get back in love. Go back to your first love. You guys are so busy about doing the things, you know, doing church. We can get so busy functioning as a church. We can do all the things the church is supposed to do. We can have the potlucks and the Bible studies and even have worship time. And, you know, if we're not careful, it can become vain religion. Guys, it needs to be an act of worship, and we need to fall in love with our Savior again and again and again. Amen? Lord, Lord, help us to have love for you. So return to your first love. Second, take spiritual headship in your home. Now watch this. And Jacob said to his household, it's about time, my brother. Amen? Where was this last chapter? Uh, your daughter's been raped. Your sons are plotting. Your daughter, first of all, left, and there's nobody with her. He says nothing. Finally, he's returned to his first love. He's built an altar. He's back to a place where he's hearing from God. And as soon as he hears from God, he can't help but lead his family. And then it says, And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Take spiritual headship of your home. First thing is cleanse your homes of the false gods. Jacob had said nothing in the midst of the whole Dinah incident. He lost control of his family, the respect of his children. But now having heard from the Lord, he steps up. He'd been living in wickedness for all these years. But praise God, it's never too late for a dad to step up and be the dad. It's never too late if you're a single mom for you to step up and take spiritual headship in your home. It's never too late. You know what? In this case, when he starts to speak, several of his kids are in their 20s. Dinah is a teenager. And she's the youngest. 
So here's the point. The point is that all of his kids are older and it's never too late for dad to step up and start being dad and to start calling his children to live life set apart to God. So he says, take the false gods, the foreign gods that are among you. Put them away. You know what? All the way back to when Laban chased him down, remember that he came and what did he say? You've stolen my gods. Remember that? Remember that? Rachel had put a god in her knapsack. You know, if your god fits in a knapsack, you got problems. And if your god can be stolen, as I've said, I, hey, I'm glad my god can't be stolen. Amen? Amen. We were going to have church, but God was stolen this week. Let's put out an APB and see if we can find him. You know, that's not the god we serve. But what happened was their gods have been stolen, so he chases them down. Well, you know what? After that happens, we never see that issue being dealt with. And now they've been in Shechem, and they got all kinds of foreign gods in their house, and for years he has said absolutely nothing. Now God speaks to him, God exhorts him, and now finally he steps up and calls his family together and says, those foreign gods you've got, put them out of here. You know, put them away. You need to get rid of them. Now, what are the foreign gods today? Worshiping anything that is created. Let me say that again. We only worship the creator. Amen? We do not worship creation. And so anything that we worship that is created, anything we allow to become more important in our lives than God, those things of the world that undermine the truth of God's word, what are the things that get in the way of your relationship with God? You know, for a teenager, it could be video games. Or maybe for some of you guys, it could be video games. It could be your career. It could be the pursuit of a relationship. It could be so many things where we're so occupied in that that we cannot do the things of God. We have no time for the Lord because we've made something else too important. Jacob's family had become like the Shechemite world around, him, around them. They were trying, like many professing Christians today, to worship God while at the same time hang on to the superstitions and practices of the world around them, attempting to have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. Lord, help us. We, you know, Pastor Don McClure in San Jose, my pastor over there, said, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. And he would always use the example of, I surrender all. He said, if we were singing accurately, we'd say, I surrender some. Because so often we say, Lord, I surrender all, but just not my career, just not my hobby, just not my wealth, just not the pursuit of this relationship. Lord, not even my children. You know, we should put nothing above him, surrender everything to him. Amen? But here's the exhortation is that here's this man of God who has allowed the world around him to keep him from serving the Lord. And his family has been filled up with foreign gods and for years he has said nothing because as a dad, the easiest thing to do is to say nothing. Say nothing about your kid's form of entertainment. Say nothing about the video games they're playing that they shouldn't be playing. Say nothing about the poster that's on the wall that is not proper for a Christian kid to have on their wall. Say nothing about the music they're listening to that does not edify and worship Almighty God. The easiest thing to do is to say nothing, and the thing that God wants us to do is be moms, be dads, step up, call sin, sin, and remove that stuff from our house. Amen? Well, man, come on, Dad, you lighten up. I got four kids. I'm not, there's sometimes I've let stuff slide. 
Because you come home after working hard all day and you're exhausted and the easiest thing to do is plop down in a chair and eat dinner. But you know what? We need to pray that our best part of our day is when we walk in the door at home. And make that a priority. And make sure that we do whatever is necessary. You know, I tell all of my kids this on the first day of high school. I love you enough to have you be mad at me for the next four years if that's what it takes. They got enough friends, they need a dad. Amen? They got enough friends, they need a mom. They need somebody to stand for the things of God and say, I don't care if every friend you have is doing it, you're not going to. Why? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Jacob is finally stepping up. Those foreign gods that I've let you have all these years, I've said nothing about, it's not too late. Well, my kids have been listening to that music for 10 years. Guess what? Don't make it 10 years in a day. Amen? Step up. Be the dad. Be the mom. Well, you know, my kids are in their 20s. You know what? If you still have influence on their life, don't be afraid. And if they live in your house, I don't care how old they are. Amen? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's our job to set a godly standard, to rid our homes of all the foreign idols, all the false gods, get them out of there. All the things that people can worship and bow down to, anything they can make it a priority and take their eyes off of the Lord. So, take spiritual headship of your home. Cleanse your homes of the false gods. Number two, cleanse yourself inside and out. Look what it says. Purify yourselves and change your garments. The word purify yourself meant they needed not to take a a bath physically, but to cleanse themselves spiritually. Guys, they had been joined to the world so long that they needed to come to a place of confession, repentance, and brokenness, and restoration before God. He said, you know what? It's not enough to remove all the trappings of this world. Now we need to get in a place where we get right with Almighty God too. Amen? Well, I removed all the stuff. I don't have that stuff in my house anymore. How's your walk with the Lord? Is there sin that needs to be confessed? Not only do we need to remove the foreign gods, we need to confess to the Lord that we've had them. And we've made other things a priority in front of Him. 1 John 1, 9, we looked at on Sunday. It said it's been referred to as the Christian bar of soap. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How else do you cleanse yourself? It says in Ephesians 5, you cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word of God. It's speaking of husbands and wives. But how do we cleanse ourselves? By spending time in God's word, amen? So we need to be purified. Now, are we going to heaven? Have we been justified? Yes, but are we still in that sanctification process? Absolutely. And should we still keep short accounts with God? Without question. We are to be cleansed from idolatry, but also consecrated to the Lord. And then he says, not only purify yourselves inwardly, but change your garments. True inward belief is reflected in outward behavior. Now he's talking about changing clothes. And certainly there were certain clothes that would be worn that might, you know, point toward idol worship. And you know what? As Christians, let me say this, we ought to dress different than the world. Amen? I have to confess to you, sometimes, and if this hits you, then know that I love you. But sometimes, we have women come to church that are dressed inappropriately. Amen? You should not be a source of stumbling for your brother in Christ when he comes to church on Sunday. Amen? 
Dress in a way that would honor the Lord. And that's true for all of us, amen? But while he's talking about changing their clothes, ultimately, I believe the application is purify yourself inwardly and it should be reflected in how you appear outwardly. It should be reflected in your behavior. Belief should impact behavior. The Bible says in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Guys, we should be living in such a way that our behavior brings glory to his name. And our clothing and the way that we look and the way that we appear is not something that would stumble somebody else. Now again, I don't want to give you a a list of what you should and shouldn't wear, and that's not really my job. The Word of God, you know, is clear about some things. The Bible tells us not to be drunk, amen? Do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not a, you know, oh, I wonder what, no, the Bible says, amen? The Bible says to flee sexual immorality. The Bible says to pay your taxes. Well, I don't think I should pay my taxes. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, amen? But then there's other things where people go, well, what kind of movies can I watch? What kind of things can I do? You know, the Bible doesn't give me a direct verse. Here's my application for that for my own life and it ministers to you, God bless you. I will not go to a movie that I would not bring Jesus Christ to. Amen? Hey, Lord, let's go check out a movie. They only curse your father's name four or five times. It's not that bad. I've had people say to me, well, the movie was fantastic. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars. There were just a few swear words and one sex scene. But other than that, it was a great movie. You know, it was a fantastic meal. There was just a little bit of arsenic in it. A little bit of arsenic in the greatest meal in the world. You walk away from the table, amen? Guys, let's make it. If I can't have my kids when they were young sitting on my knee, my wife sitting on one side and the Lord on the other, I got no business watching it. Amen? Let me encourage you. The things you participate in, would you bring the Lord? When you get dressed in the morning, would you dress that way for the Lord? You know what? Instead of always looking at do's and don'ts, just walk with God and please Him. Amen? Walk in the Spirit and please the Lord. Take spiritual headship of your home. Cleanse your homes of false gods. Cleanse yourselves both inwardly and outwardly. Next point, bring your family with you to worship. Look at verse 3. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. He didn't go to the house of God alone, did he? The Lord told him to go to the house of God, and he went back and told his family, guess what? We're all going. Something's happened to Jacob, amen? Jacob is now being the spiritual leader. Can I encourage you as parents? Your house is not a democracy. Your kids don't get a vote. Amen? Well, you know, I don't feel like going to try. You know, I'm 15. I don't think I should have to go. I had parents tell me that was youth pastor. Well, my kid doesn't like youth groups, so I don't make him come. Really? That's interesting. If he didn't want to go to math, would you make him go? Well, yeah, he's got to go to school. He needs an education. Oh, okay. So math is more important than eternity. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, I hadn't thought about that way. Well, think about it. Amen? You know what? On Sunday morning, let's rise and shine and give God the glory. Let's get in the car. We're going as a family. We're going to worship God together. Amen? And don't send your kids without you because you're going fishing or surfing. Amen? Well, it'd be good for the kids to go. I'm going to drop them off, but waves are pretty tight today, so I'm going to... 
Looking pretty glassy. I'm going, man. Hey, how often do you get an offshore like that? I'm going. Hey, you lead by example, amen? Your kids ought to see you worship. Your kids ought to see you pray. Your kids ought to see you in the Word of God. Amen? Christianity is more caught than taught. Let's live it out in front of them. Bring your family to church. And don't bring them to church and be yelling and screaming and cussing at your spouse on the way here. Amen? Some of you are going, huh? Did, he, did you call? Did you call? I mean, you know. But the reality is, it's so true. That, you know, the enemy, I believe this. I believe we prepare for Sunday morning on Saturday night. I learned that from my dad. My dad used to tell me, son, you need to be home at a decent hour on Saturday because Sunday morning's the Lord's day and I don't want you sitting in church exhausted. That's a good word, amen? Well, I was out fellowship until 4 a.m. Don't do that. We need to be here alert for the Lord, amen? If Jesus Christ was coming to your house tomorrow, would you get a nap? Do you think he might be ready? you think he might want to be attentive? Guess what? We're coming to spend time with him, Amen? He wants to bring them to the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Take spiritual headship. Bring your kids. Notice he says, again, he's, where is he going? To the altar. The altar is a place of sacrifice, a place of worship. Being reminded that God had promised him earlier at Bethel at the altar. Verse 4, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands. You know, I love this because you know what this tells me? These kids were just waiting for dad to step up. They were just waiting for someone to come in and take spiritual headship in their life. They may have not even known it. But when dad stepped up and said, you know what, we're going to serve God and we're going to fellowship together. And guys, we're going to go back to Bethel. And you know what, give me your foreign gods. What did they do? They went and got them and brought them all to him. Now, you might say, well, my kids didn't really respond that way when I asked them. Ask them anyway. Amen? Go Go on a hunt if you want, by the way. Amen? I've told my kids, you have no privacy in this house. I will listen to your phone calls. I will check your emails. I will go through your drawers. I will go through your clothes. I will go through your stuff. There is no freedom of anything in this house. That's not how it works. God gave you a parent for a reason, amen? Do it in love, but they need to know, oh, that's my stuff. You don't have any stuff. You got no stuff. This is God's stuff, amen? Let me say, I, you know, like all families, we have our trials, just like you do. My kids make bad choices. I made bad choices when I was a teenager. We all have done it. But here's the thing. It's how do we deal with it? Amen? How do we respond to it? Do we act like it's no big deal? Or do we address it from the word of God? So they brought all the foreign gods that were in their hands. Isn't it amazing that they had enough that they had to go gather them up? Had to go get all the foreign gods and bring them to dad. But notice what happens here. It says they brought all their foreign gods that were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. Now this doesn't mean that earrings are evil. What this means is their earrings literally were symbols that pointed to worship of a false god. And so they took the earrings out that pointed to worship of the false gods and they took the foreign gods and brought them all to their dad, Jacob, who was now taking spiritual headship. Now watch what happens. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. You know what I love about this? He didn't take them away for a while. He didn't restrict them from it for a minute. 
he took and he buried him under a tree. And I love that it's buried under a tree. Amen? Because guys, where was our sin taken care of? On the cross of Calvary. Amen? He hung on a tree for us. And they took all of these false gods and all these sinful objects and he buried them under a tree. He left them behind, never to go back. Guys, this is what we need to do with the false gods of this world that so entice us. We don't move them five feet away from us. We bury them and we don't dig them up ever again. Amen? Too often we put them, I don't want to completely lose it, put out in the garage. I might want that later. I've heard of guys that get saved and they don't want to throw their dope away because they spent money on it. You know, I might want that later. Guys, don't give it away. Don't give it to your friend. Well, I'm just trying to hook up. Don't do that. Throw it away. Amen? Get rid of it. Pour it down the sink, whatever it might be. We see that picture of the cross here. Then we see in verse 5 through 7, obey God and trust Him to protect you. It says, and they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. You have to remember that there was, he was petrified and worried because back in chapter 34, he thought, you know what, we did this to the Shechemites, all the other nations are going to kill us, and if we start to travel down to Bethel, we're going to be marching right by some of these nations, and they could come out and kill us. Guys, we obey God and trust him to protect us, amen? Well, if I obey God, I might catch static at work. You know, if I stand up for the things of the Lord, I might have a hard time with, the, with my neighbors, or I might lose out on a job or a bid if I make a stand for God. If guys tell me, well, I don't want to put a, a Christian fish in my ad because someone might think, you know, because I'm a Christian, not call me. You know what? If they don't call me because I'm a Christian, I don't want them calling me. Amen? Guys, let's not be ashamed of Jesus. Amen? And in this case, the exhortation here is that God says, look, I told you to go, just go. And trust me. Yeah, they're threatening you. It's okay. You trust me. You don't worry about the threats of the world. You trust in the promises of God. And that's exactly what we see Jacob doing. God's got a hold of him, hasn't he? He's changed in five verses. Lord, help us. So Jacob came to Luz, verse 6, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, he didn't leave one person behind, did he? Nobody back in the world, nobody back in the land. What did he do? He brought his whole family with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. El Bethel means God, the house of God. El means God. Beth means house. El means God. El Bethel, house, God, house of God. What I love about this is it gives an inference to say, it's not just the house of God that I've come to worship, but the God of the house of God. Amen? Guys, we don't just worship the house of God. We worship the God of the house of God. It's God that we serve. It's not the house of God, but the God of the house. Amen? He's the one that we need to know. And they built an altar there. Though Jacob had sinned, he did not, he did, now did what was right before God. And despite the danger of waiting and, and doing this, he believed and knew that God had called him and God would protect him. And again, God did indeed do that. Guys, when God, when God calls us, we're indestructible till God's through with us. Amen? His hand's upon us. He's faithful. He does not lose sight of us. Jacob confirms his commitment and his allegiance to God. And now God's going to confirm his commitment to him. 
Now, in the middle of all this, we take a little bit of a, a break. All in the middle of this chapter, we have a verse here that seems a little out of place. Look at verse 8. Now, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Elon Bakuth. Means tree of weeping or place of weeping. Now, why? We got this. Here's what's happening to Jacob, and here his family's going, and he's doing the right thing, and then we stop one verse for a funeral. Why in the world would that be there? Well, first of all, we know that Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, Rebecca is who? Jacob's what? His wife? His, his mother. So that means that she had been ministering to his mom, and now she has come after some time, maybe when he came back and has been ministering to him. So this is a woman that has been with the family since before he was born. And now, notice, he's obeying God, and yet there is still grieving. Can I encourage you that as we obey God, it doesn't mean we won't go through times of difficulty. Amen? Here in the middle of all this obedience, we see this heartfelt grieving moment. As Christians, we grieve, but not as those without hope. As Christians, we walk with God and we serve Him, but it doesn't mean there won't be trials in the midst of it. Amen? That's why I believe that verse is right there. In the middle of all of this, this woman that he loved and cared for, as he's now obeying God, she dies and he buries her there. We see both a blessing and a burial happening here at the same time. His mom at this point is no uh, no doubt dead and this is the last connection in a sense to her, to the nurse and how this must have broken his heart. But you know what? When we grieve, it should never be a reason for us to stop serving God. Amen? We don't look at God and say, look, I went through a trial. Where were you? You know, Lord, I just started obeying you and this precious woman in my life died. How is that even fair? Guys, we need to get an eternal perspective. Amen? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? We miss them, but praise God that where they are is far better. Next point. Trust that God is still faithful to his promises. How do we return to that place of faithfulness? How do we get back there? We trust that God is still faithful to his promises, even when we've been faithless. Guys, you can take a million steps away from God. Praise God, it's one step back. Amen? No matter how far you've drifted, he wants to call you home. Let's take a look here at verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again. So he spoke to him, now he appears to him. How did he go from hearing God to seeing God? He obeyed God. Amen? He moves from hearing God to seeing God by obeying God. Guys, you want to see the Lord moving in your life? Start obeying Him. When He speaks, obey. When He speaks, say, yes, Lord. And then watch how God's going to show up in a supernatural and miraculous way. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? And notice where He appears to Him. When he came from Padam Aram and blessed him, he appeared to him the same place he had appeared to him all those years earlier when he headed out to get a wife. He's back in the same place and the Lord appears to him again. Back where he had first ministered to him before, some 30 years or so earlier. You know what, guys, the place where you met the Lord, even though the place isn't significant in one sense, Doesn't it kind of hold a special place in your heart a little bit? 
Some of you may not even know this. You know, my dad pastored a church that met in this building when I was in high school. Then that church ended up moving to Aptos, and there was no Calvary in Santa Cruz for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years, something like that. And then we came back here and planted a new church. We started the Betts Hall downtown, and here we are back in the very place where my daughter was dedicated to the Lord. But what's really awesome is my wife got saved in this room. Now, when we came back to worship, to serve, to have church here again seven and a half years ago, we walked in that back door and my wife sat down on her rear end on the floor and started weeping because she's like, you know what? It was here that I met the Lord. You know, we went down to Southern California, the pastor's conference at Calvary South Bay. Not far from there is the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. And that's where Mrs. Green led me to the Lord when I was four and a half years old in the four and five-year-old class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. And I have to confess to you, I drove over to the church. It was closed. I walked back to where the room was where I got saved. The door was open, so I broke in. (laughs) Door was open. Okay, thank you, Lord. But I went in, and I sat in one of those little tiny chairs. It was still the four and five-year-old class. And I just worshiped the Lord. And again, the room wasn't supernatural in one sense or anything, but it was a place where I got saved and it ministered to my heart. And for Jacob, this was the place where God met him. This was the place where he saw the vision of Jacob's ladder. This was the place where he had the promise from God. This was the place where God made a vow to him and he made a vow to the Lord. This was a place where he entered into God's presence and he made sacrifice to God and he heard the promises of God. And now he's back there again. And he's excited to be there. Remember that God is faithful to his promises. Verse 10. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Didn't he already do this? When did he do it? When he wrestled with God back in chapter 32. Remember what happened was he was hanging on to God and he said, you know, I'm not going to let you let go of you until you bless me. And he touched his hip and broke him. And notice he does not give him his name until he was desperate and broken. Amen? And he gives him his name. But guess what? He's reminding him of the promise that, yes, even though you spent eight years hanging out in Shechem, you weren't a godly man, you were not obeying me, you allowed this whole Dinah incident, you weren't stepping up to your kids, guess what? I have forgiven you, I'm a gracious God, and I'm not done using you. You know what? The Bible says that he can repair, restore the years the locusts have eaten. Amen? You've blown it. You can still get right. You've got off track. It's not too late to be used by God. Let's get right with him tonight. Amen? Lord, help us. Lord, use us again. And then it says in verse 11, And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Those of you who like words, that word there is El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. El means God, Shaddai Almighty. I am God Almighty. Guess what? We don't serve a somewhat mighty God. A kind of mighty. He's almighty. Amen? And guys, when we remember how mighty God is, it makes the things that we go through in life a lot less of a big deal. Trials are big. If God is small, if God is mighty, nothing's too great for him. Amen? And he's saying this to Jacob as Jacob is, you know, the people around him are threatening to bring harm. He says, I still got my promises on you. I still got my hand on you. You're still Israel. My promises are still good. And oh, by the way, I'm still God Almighty and I'm still in control. Praise the Lord for these words of encouragement. And may they be an encouragement to us. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. You know what? You've blown it, but I'm still going to use you. 
I still have plans for you. You're going to be the father of many nations. Kings are going to come from you. Royalty. And then he says in verse 12, The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. To your descendants after you, I give you this land. Again, what words of encouragement these must have been because he had been blowing it for so long. And God still says, I'm not done with you. You're here tonight. I've been blowing it for so long. It's not too late. You know what's the ultimate about all the promises that are coming? The promises to give the descendants after you. Guess what's the greatest promise of all? Jesus Christ is going to come through his line. But you know what's going to happen? Here's what's interesting. Simeon and Levi are going to lose out on the blessing. And Reuben, as we're going to see next week, is going to miss out on the blessing because Reuben ends up sleeping with one of his stepmoms or one of his, you know, one of the other wives. And they're all going to lose the blessing. So guess who gets the blessing of the Messiah, the fourth in line? Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Bible tells us. Amen? But because they had blown it, they missed out on God's highest. And it says there, then God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him. The Lord went up, but Jacob still remained faithful. You know what's awesome for us, guys? God's presence left him. Now, when it says God went up, I believe this means that Jesus was talking to him in person talking to him in person, and he went up. And guys, wouldn't we love to have a conversation with Jesus in person? What's the answer? All day long. But can I say this? And please don't take this wrong. I believe we are even more blessed because while he got to speak with the Lord for a moment and then he ascended into heaven, you and I have the Holy Spirit 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and he never leaves, amen? And we are the most blessed of all people. 24-7, praise God. Lastly, a return to holy living. When dad gets right and brings his family with him, what does he do? He pours himself out before the Lord. Look at verse 14. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering, and he poured oil on it. Again, they would pour out wine or juice, which was, you know, for us today, which was an example of the you know, the shedding of blood, which he didn't even have a clue about yet. But he would pour out this drink offering. But later Paul would say that the, he was pouring himself out before the Lord. That he was being poured out as a drink offering before the Lord. In a sense, that's what there's a picture of. Jacob is pouring himself out. The Lord is the one who pays the price. But he came to the altar and says, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Jacob's gone from ignoring God, living in the world, not being the man of God he's called to be, to being a man now who is willing to pour himself out before the Lord. And then he says, last verse, And Jacob called, on the, na- called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Beth El. He says again, this is God's house. This is the house of God. The last time he proclaimed it while alone, fleeing from Esau, and now he proclaims it in front of all of his family and his friends. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Guys, we need to come to a place where we're unashamed of our Savior. We need to be as unashamed of him in the world as he was unashamed of us as he hung on a cross. Amen? So in closing, a return to holy living. When dad steps up and brings his family with him, number one, begins by returning to your first love. Come back to a place of brokenness, worship, and surrender. Before you can be a godly example to someone else, you must be walking with God yourself. Amen? 
Number two, take spiritual headship in your home. This is for moms and dads, but he begins with dad. Cleanse your home of false gods. I know it's not easy. Your kids might be mad at you. Better to have them be mad at you than to have them walk away from the Lord. Amen? Number two, second point, cleanse yourselves inside and out. It's more than a knowledge of God, but having a life that's been transformed on the inside and the outside. Bring your family with you to worship the Lord. There's no reason for your kids to stay home. Amen? No reason for you to stay home. You bring them. Next, obey God and trust Him to protect you. You know, even when the odds are overwhelming, you just obey the Lord. Know God's comfort in times of grieving. You know what? Just because you're serving God doesn't mean you're on the cruise ship to heaven. Amen? It means there's going to be difficulty, but in the midst of it, you keep trusting Him. Trust that God is still faithful to His promises. And then finally, pour yourself out before Him Inner commitment, not just outward rituals. You know what? The same God that did a work in Jacob is the same God who wants to do a work in you and me. Amen? The same God who showed grace to Jacob when he was totally blowing it. He was an absentee dad. He had checked it at the door. He wasn't stepping up. God still, years later, uses him in an incredible and a mighty way. Guys, you may have blown it. Don't let the enemy make you think you're disqualified from being used by God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that... We follow up chapter 34 with no mention of God and a disaster. And what in the world is a father to do who finds his family disrespecting him and his family out of control? And then, Lord, you give us the example, the very next verse, as you call us back to the house of God. You call us back to intimate fellowship with you. Lord, if we're here tonight and we've blown it, again, it's a million steps away, it's one step back. Lord, I pray tonight we would renew intimate fellowship with you. Lord, I pray for those who are here whose families are going through difficult times, mine included, Lord. We come before you and just say, Lord, we pray for our kids. We pray for those who aren't walking with you. We pray for unsafe family and friends. Pray for unsafe parents. Lord, just open their eyes to the truth of who you are and help us, Lord, to be salt and light. Help us, Lord, to represent you to them. Help us, Lord, to be the godly husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, you've called us to be. Lord, we ask all of these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand up and worship the Lord.